Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. We are so, so excited this week. We've been promising, we've been hyping this up, and I promise you guys it's going to live up to the hype (laughs) because we have Miss Sylvia Esparza here, and she's a midwife to talk to you guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited. Thank you for coming. We We are so excited. I know our listeners are excited. Real quick, can you just tell us a little bit about your qualifications as a midwife, kind of how you became a midwife, what the schooling for that looked like? Um, Just a little bit about what made you want to be a midwife. Okay. Well, I am a certified nurse midwife, um, so that means I'm master's prepared. I'm an advanced practice nurse. Um, So I have my bachelor's degree in nursing, um, and then I just continued um, my – so master's prepared. (laughs) Um, So it's just a master's in midwifery, though. Um, And in my scope of practice, I can do well women. So from the time that they um, start menstruating, from the time females start menstruating until the time that – they leave this world, um, I can take care of them. And then I can also um, do prenatals, postpartum, and deliver. So my scope is just a little bit more because I can do that delivery part of it. That's amazing. What made you want to go that route? So um, I... I was in the military before, and in order for me, I was considering and going going back in as an officer, and in order for me to do that, I would have to have a bachelor's degree. So I knew I wanted, when I was going to be nursing, I knew it had to be a bachelor's degree that I wanted. And then since I already had my bachelor's degree, then I might as well just continue and get my master's um, for midwifery. Mm-hmm. That is so neat. I also loved that you talked about you can do the well women, which means from the time you start menstruating until the end of life and that is crazy because most people hear midwife and they just think birth and babies Mm -hmm. so that is really really interesting well there are different types of midwives so there are certified nurse midwives um, and then there's certified practicing midwives um, and those are midwives that aren't necessarily nurses and those midwives are midwives that do need um, or that can only do birth childbirth okay (laughs) yeah there's some noise up there I don't know what that is bike. Oh, okay. So can you walk us through the difference between if somebody were to go give birth in a hospital, the traditional route versus giving birth with a midwife? What, what are the differences there? Um, well, just in general with midwifery care, um, midwives see birth as a normal process in a woman's life, not as a disease process like it's seen in the medical field. Um, so because of that, you know, we treat it that way. It's more holistic. You know, we do involve nutrition and then just life in general, you know, because stressors are a big deal. Um, and because we incorporate all of that stuff we do a lot more education at least in my practice I do I do a lot more education Um, and really it's the parents that um, take the lead in this journey Um, you know so they get to decide what is going to be done what's not going to be done my job is to educate them like what things are why things are done you know why certain screenings are done why things are recommended and then they get to decide oh yeah you know that's something that i want to do or you know what that really doesn't pertain to me so at least in my practice it's very informed choice and it's very individualized um so that can be some of the differences um doctors some doctors out there are very natural minded and also do a lot of informed choice and more 
you know, um, what they call family centered. So they involve, you know, the whole family and all of that stuff. But because the medical model sees it as a disease process, it's just a little bit different, you know. Um, I don't want to say like they want to take the reins, you know, but a lot of times it's like they want to take the reins from the the families instead of saying like, well, th- these are your options and you tell me what you want, you know, kind of a thing. So, so something I've noticed from medical practitioners is it's a lot of things are like, oh, it's not safe, so we have to do it this way, or you have to have give birth in a hospital because it's safer for your baby and things like that. Can you talk about the benefits to home births or births in the birthing center and what you guys do to ensure that those are safe and everybody, mom and baby, you're both, or that their welfare is top priority? Well, the most important thing is that people need to realize is not everybody's a candidate for an out-of-hospital birth. That's the biggest thing because you do have to be what they say low risk or really healthy. Okay, so the pregnancy starts out healthy and then it ends out healthy ends out healthy. And when that is the case, then having a baby outside of the hospital can be a very, really safe option. Okay. So here's what happens when you go into the hospital. It's kind of a standard of care. You go in, they start an IV, you lay on the bed, they start monitoring the baby, and then you're stuck there. You know, Um, high risk, low risk. I mean, really, that's everybody that goes in to deliver at the hospital. You know, so when that happens, you know, you're not able to move. You can't cope as well with the contractions because movement helps a lot to cope through those contractions. I'm a firm believer that your body's going to get in the position that it needs to get to, one, cope with those contractions, and two, get baby in the position that baby needs to be for delivery. So when you're strapped onto a bed, you know, um, I say strapped. You're not really <laughs> strapped onto a bed. But, you know, they're trying to monitor baby, and you're in a certain position, and the nurse will come back in and say, oh, can you roll over to the other side? Or can you not sit down? Or can you do this? Because I can't pick up baby. So then you're not able to move around freely. Um, the nice thing is that some hospitals are starting to have the um, cordless monitors. So those are a little bit easier to pick up, but they don't have them in every room. You know, so and I don't know what all the hospitals have here. Um, but it's just that restriction of movement um, that can make things a lot harder. So now you have more intense contractions. Now you're going to want some pain relief. You have the pain relief, then you're going to, your contractions go away and then you need medication to increase those contractions. So it's just all these interventions that they're doing at the hospitals that can cause increased risks. And then eventually, you know, we end up having a C-section or a baby in distress or, you know, like whatever. So when you have the baby outside of the hospital or when you kind of follow the midwifery model of care, we don't do a lot of those interventions. Your body is able to do what it needs to do. Because of that, then, you know, we don't have babies that are getting into distress, you know, um, so it's a smoother transition for baby two. You don't have a lot of babies that are having distress either after they're born they stay with their mamas so even if there is a little bit of distress they get regulated because they're skin to skin with their moms and that you know there's lots of studies that show that when babies get taken away from mom you know they're um they get stressed out and they you see it you see it in what they're doing um so because we don't do those interventions it decreases the risks of c-sections that's one of the biggest things you know um because our C-section, national C-section rate, I'm not exactly sure what it is here locally, but our national C-section rate is about 30, 33%, somewhere around there. And if you think about it, it's like, did a quarter of a women really forget 
how to give birth or their bodies can't give birth you know so it's a lot of things that we're doing because we're intervening so if you just leave birth alone you know and that's how nature does it you know if you look at any other mammal that delivers they go and they're secluded you know they don't have people staring at them you know they don't have 20 other you know whatever they are dogs cats whatever come and help them out you know to get babies you know because our bodies are meant to do this um so that's one of the the big benefits and why it can be really safe now we do monitor you know so we're making sure that baby sounds good. We're making sure that mom is doing good. We're making sure that labor is progressing down its normal path. So if for some reason it's not, because of course there's risks for everything, you know, there's risks for waking up every morning, you know. So if for some reason something is not going down its normal path, then that's when we're like, hey, this is probably not a safe option anymore. Let's go to the hospital now. Because hospitals are amazing. We need hospitals. We do need hospitals. We need hospitals. We need doctors. We need OBs. We, we need everything that we have. Is just not for every single birth. And I love that you mentioned just kind of like the positioning. And that was kind of like my next segue was, are there certain positions that you feel like can have a better chance for moms to kind of feel a little bit more relaxed or like do you have like a favorite birthing position or do you just kind of let the moms do what they got to do or can you tell us the different birthing positions too so really it's like I said I'm a firm believer that mom is going to get in whatever position that they're needing to so it's going to be different for every single mom you know and then the contractions are different for every mom like some will feel it more on their back so if they're having more back labor then positions for them, those positions are going to be different, you know, um, but I see moms just all over the place, you know, um, for actually birthing positions. So as baby is being born, most of my moms end up getting on hands and knees is where they end up getting. And I guess it's just more instinctual, you know, um, just so like that you can bear down. Um, but really hands and knees is kind of what I see more even from like a squat. So that makes so much more sense. Like we've talked about anatomically, the sacrum is something we look at a lot anatomically because a lot of the pelvic floor muscles have attachments there and we've talked about how one of the purposes of some of the relaxin and the hormones is so that that sacrum can move a little more freely and when you're on your back it kind of blocks that sacrum a little bit but I can see how being on hands and knees or deep squat or whatever that sacrum will have more room to move so well yeah definitely even like when moms are getting really close you know to birthing to the actual delivering part um they tend to kind of get off their their bum you know so like if they're sitting down like they'll just kind of like lift up off the chair off the chair or the bed or wherever they're at because they have that pressure and that you know the sacral bone is being pushed out from with the baby's head so yeah you're not going to want to be on it <laughs> are there any positions or tips or tricks that you have to reduce tearing during that delivery process? Um, so really, no, there's not. I mean, studies have shown that slow controlled pushing towards the end, you know, to let baby's head stretch that tissue is what's kind of shown the most benefit to not tear, but really I think it's in the genes. So if you're made to tear, you're gonna tear no matter what we do, and if you're made not to tear, you're not gonna tear. I've had moms that push a baby out in one push altogether, and there's, and a teeny tiny baby, you know, I mean a huge baby, and there's no lacerations, and then you have moms that are so well controlled, and it's like, you know, a six pound baby, and then we have 
a second degree laceration. So sometimes I think it's just kind of in the genes. We do tell mamas, you know, to like slow control pushing. Another thing that I, I do is as baby's being delivered, I make sure all of the extremities are staying close to baby because a lot of times what ends up happening is that little elbow flips out and then that's what ends up tearing mom. So if you can try to keep all of those extremities together, then um, it can also decrease some of that tearing. That makes so much more sense because and we joke about this too. Every time we see an eval on our schedule from you, we're like, okay, well, we're not going to have anything to do. <laughs> and it's just like these women come in and they're like, yeah, I had, you know, a nine, 10 pound baby and, you know, with Sylvia and I had no tearing. We're like, what does she do? Like <laughs> what, what magic does she have over there? So that makes a lot of sense though. Well, and part of it too could be that they're not in the lithotomy position because it stretches the tissues a different way when you're forced to be in a certain way. You know, so that can be a thing. One of my, some of my worst herrings actually was when my mamas were in a kind of more of a squat because they were on like a little birth stool. Actually, I use the squatty potty as a birth stool because that kind of gets them really deep. So when they're in that position and if baby actually delivers in that position, that's when I've seen most of my tears. And I don't know if it's just because of the way it stretches, just because of the position they're in. So what I started doing is I get them to a crown and then once we're on a crown, I get them off that stool. So like that, they're not just pulling those tissues the way they are in that position. We call you the womb whisperer here. So. Really? Yes. <laughs> yes, we really do. And and all of your patients that come in, they just sing your praises too. So Aww. take comfort in that. And I will also say your patients also come in very educated. They know more about their bodies, the pelvic floor, the whole birthing process than really any other patients I see. So well, I tell all of my, you know, clients that whenever, whenever I first meet with them, it's like I have three goals during this journey. One of them is to fully educate them in anything that I can educate them during this process. The second one is for them to deliver in the safest place for both them and, you know, mama and baby. And then the third one is to be their biggest cheerleader. So I do try to educate as much as I can. <laughs> of all of your patients that we have seen, you check every single one of those boxes for all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Absolutely. So I want to ask a little bit about kind of the pain, because I know if you do home birth or birthing center, there's not that option of the epidural, which is what most mothers go to the hospital for. They have a fear of that birthing pain and they're like, I could never do it. So that's why I'm going the hospital route. It may not be that that was the experience they wanted, but it was the the fear of the pain is what drove them to that. Mm -hmm. Do you have any words of wisdom on that? It's hard because everybody's pain tolerance is going to be different and everybody's pain during labor is going to be different too. Um, so the, the big thing is one is Hollywood has really made it more intense than it really is. You know, like you're not going to have your first contraction and be yelling off the top of your you know head that in pain, you know, from the contractions and it's not constant, you know, you get breaks. That's the big thing is that you get some breaks in between and you get to rest. Um, but like I said before, if you can move, you can cope a lot better through those contractions. So I tell everybody, I had all my kids before I knew better and I had all of my kids in the hospital you know and I was induced I have you know three boys one girl all my boys were induced my boys don't want to be born and my (laughs) daughter was the only one that I went into spontaneous labor 
Um, and I remember waking up and I was just a little bit crampy, you know, and I was like, okay, I want her here. I'm going to get things going because if I don't, then this is probably going to go away and, you know, labor won't start. So I started getting active and contractions started coming and I labored at home for a really long time, not because I knew better, but because her clothes wasn't washed and I was trying to get it washed and packed (laughs) before I got to the hospital. Although my mom was like... My mom was like, just tell me what you want and I'll pack it, but hurry up, let's go to the hospital. And I'm like, you're not going to know what I want. So I waited at the house as long as I could when I got to that. And they were bearable. The contractions at the house were very bearable. When I got to the hospital and they strapped me down to the bed, those contractions became 10 times worse. Okay. Um, And that's my only experience from, you know, for, for like the natural birth, you know, so I really didn't, wasn't able to like get up, walk around, you know, get in different positions with her. Um, so I don't know how it would have finished, you know, um, if it would have been less intense, um, if I was able to keep doing what I was doing, like what I was at home, you know, so movement, movement's going to be really good, you know, for that pain. You know, we, I tell everybody, I was like, just because we're having a baby outside of the hospital doesn't mean we're not doing anything to address that discomfort because we are, you know, we're doing the movement, we're doing the breathing, you know, we can do, you know, aromatics, so like do essential oils, you know, that kind of stuff. We can do music, water, water is a big thing that a lot of the mamas really, really like. So, but the thing is, is that it's not going to take the pain away completely like an epidural world would. And sometimes it does get to that point, you know, because yeah, if you're in labor for 48 hours, oh my gosh you know, it's time for rest, you know, mm-hmm. so we need epidural sometimes too, you know, um, but that's one of the things that is really nice is to have the option. I don't think it should be where it should be forced on everybody. And I also don't think a natural birth should be forced on anybody. I have a niece that she told me she was pregnant and I was like, Oh, congratulations. And I was like, do you, I'm like, can I catch your baby? And she was like, Oh, I was thinking about it. And then we were like talking a little bit more and she's like, Oh, I want all the drugs. And I was like, Oh baby, then you can't come to me. <laughs> I was like, then I won't be able to catch your baby because I can't give you all the drugs. <laughs> what is, and I kind of want to circle back to this. You've mentioned kind of like the aromatherapy and essential oils and music and water when, and the few times that I've been by the birthing center I'm just like walked in I'm like am I at a spa like what is happening so can you kind of talk a little bit more about that and kind of how your clinic specifically is set up to really kind of create that calm and that ease of tension so really I have it set up as a home environment you know because one of the places where labor is going to progress the the fastest is going to be at home, you know, because you you need to be safe in order to have a baby. Okay. If you don't feel safe, your body isn't going to continue with the contractions, you know? And I mean, we think about it like, I don't feel like I'm not safe, but anytime somebody walks into the room, your body subconsciously is going to say like, okay, hold on. Can we do this? Is this safe for me to bring a baby into this world? You know, our bodies are amazing, you know. Um, But I've seen it. Like when I worked in the hospital, I would have moms come in and they were like, "Um, you know, I'm contracting every five minutes, contracting every five minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, let's put you on the monitors. We put them on the monitors and there's nothing. And they're like, I promise I was contracting every five minutes and they're really intense. And we're like, no, it's okay. You know, we kind of just like let them rest for a little bit and then those contractions come up, you know, because they changed environments you know so they're like okay is this safe so if you make it like a home setting to where they feel like hey this is my safe place you know we we um turn off the lights we just kind of have some dim lights to make it a lot warmer environment because you don't want bright lights just shining on you you know and then 
I have a lot of, I tell my families, you can have whoever you want at your birthday party, okay? <laughs> the thing is, is too, is that sometimes when there's too many eyes looking at you, it's kind of the same thing. So when you're in labor, it needs to be a primal, it's, it's a primal, um, not feeling, but yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and a lot of times, and we're women. We're, we're just always in our head, you know. So we just got to get out of our head. And a lot of times if we have a lot of people there, either they're talking or they're just staring at you and you know they're staring at you and you're like, okay, now I have to perform for these people, you know. And it could delay the process. So even there at the birth center, if there's a whole bunch of people and we're kind of seeing that like, oh, contractions are either starting to spar- um, spread apart or something, then we're like, hey, we're just going to all walk out of the room. We're going to give you guys some time and then you'll start hearing that those moans and groans start coming and we're like okay labor starting to progress again that's so neat and I had a lot of people tell me kind of in the height of COVID in the hospitals they were sometimes they weren't even allowed to have a husband in there or a partner or whatever and so I saw kind of this trend of home births or birthing centers rise and then people are actually really liking it like I had a patient who had had three hospital births and she had her fourth one an at-home birth with you and she was like I wish I had known about this before it was like the most amazing experience and so I absolutely think that there's something to it I think it's really really fascinating just as I've learned more about it and I think the biggest problem with it is people don't know and so there's kind of a fear around it due to the lack of education but I did have a question on do you have a preference or a recommendation like home versus birthing center on which is better or so really I think it kind of just depends like where home is you know so how far are you from the hospital and how comfortable do you feel from with that you know nine times out of ten baby's gonna drop out of your body and everything's gonna be perfectly fine you know but there's always risks to everything and the big thing is how comfortable are you from your distance from the house to the hospital just in case there's an emergency at least for me my guidelines or my requirement is for the house to be within 20 minutes um, just in case there's an emergency so 20 minutes to a hospital that delivers Um, and besides that I tell everybody it's like it's your home versus my home because everything that I have at the birth center is what I take with me to the home births so medications oxygen resuscitation supplies all of that stuff I have at your at the house for a home birth and I have at the birth center and honestly I do prefer home births you know, I tell everybody, no matter what, I'm leaving my house. You know, I either have to leave my house to go to the birth center or I have to leave my house to, do, to go to your house. But when moms are doing home births, then they don't go anywhere. Okay, so they start laboring at home, they deliver at home, and they recover at home, and they're not leaving their house at all. And we do the pickup at least with my in my practice like we pick up the tub you know we do all of that stuff and I tell you know the families is like you're not even going to know we had a baby here except the fact that the baby's in your arms now so can you kind of talk a little bit more about that equipment and just kind of mainly to satisfy my own curiosity it's just like what does that look like like what does that setup look like is it like a sheet on the ground is like the tub what do you bring with you for a home birth So what I do is um, I give the mamas their tub and then a little home birth kit, which is going to have like checks pads and gloves and the peri bottle cord clamps and, you know, the instruments and all of that stuff, you know, the the main things. And then they do have a couple things that they need to collect at home, you know, like towels and bags and bowls and, you know, um, 
plastic linings. Um, so it kind of just depends on where they're going to deliver. If they deliver in the water, I mean, everything is just in the water. We drain the water. We just grab the liner and throw everything in the trash and that's it. You know, but when we have what we call a land birth, then sometimes it can get a little bit tricky. Um, I always have the moms cover their mattress, protect their mattress with plastic just in case, even if like they're like, oh, my dream is to have a water birth and I definitely want to have that baby in the water. But then again, you don't know what you're going to want at the time. You know, I had a mom that said that and every time she got in the water, she's like, can I get out? And I'm like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think she tried it like three times and each time she's like, can I get out? Do I have to stay in here? And I'm like, no, you don't have to stay in there. And most of the time they'll gravitate to their bed because guess what? That's where they made baby. You know, that's their, well, for the most part. Um, <laughs> That's going to be their safest place, right? So they gravitate to their bed. So I tell them, well, unless you want to buy a new mattress, then you don't have to protect it. But let's just go ahead and protect it just in case. We put down the checks pads. For the most part, that can grab most of it occasionally, you know, because moms are moving around. It'll move those checks pads around and we can get it on the bed. Beta, uh, not betadine, um, hydrogen peroxide takes blood out really good. So if we get any blood on anything, we just clean it up with that. And, um, but a lot of, I mean, yes, it's messy, but we kind of try to contain it. So, um, I had a client and it was funny. Um, they, when they prepared their birth room, they put plastic on all of the floor up to like two feet up the wall. (laughs) We're like, this is like Dexter. Like, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> that was the first home birth. The second home birth, I don't think there was anything anywhere. <laughs> okay, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> do you have a preference or have you seen, like, is there benefits to what you call land birth versus water birth? Um, really, I think it's just going to be preference. Um, I mean, for me, it's easier cleanup, you know, when it's a water birth because, you know, like I said, we just drain the water. Um, but I think it's just going to be preference. Um, sometimes when mamas want water births and they just can't push effectively in the water, we'll ask them to get out. Um, and it's just because you're in the water, you're slipping and sliding. And, you know, sometimes you just like really got to ground yourself, um, to push effectively. Um, so it kind of just, really no not a, a preference per se um and then for moms like i said you know it's just going to be preference for to, uh, for them too um i've heard that water works really well like i said i didn't have my babies uh, or i had you know my babies before i knew better um but just because i know the type of person that i am i might not like the water because i'm very cold all the time and when you get out of the water, it's going to be cold. You know, even like if you just move your elbow out of the water for five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be cold. So I don't think that's something that I would like, but I haven't done it. So I don't know. So I've always heard this. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard water births are actually an easier transition for baby. Yes, because baby goes from water to water. So it it I do see where when baby is born, they come up. They're really just not crying. They're just looking around, you know, staring at mom, you know. And it's also because, you know, they... It's a, it takes a little bit longer for them to kind of hit all the noise because the noise is still muffled underneath. You know, when everybody's excited, it's like, we have baby, you know. Um, you don't have all, like, the alarms that are – well, you don't have the alarms anyways at home birth or birth center, you know, and stuff like that. But it is. It is just a little bit transition um, or smoother transition for baby. Nice. We had a listener write in and kind of ask, I guess it would be hospital versus – midwife birth 
in the hospital specifically, what decisions are in the mother's hands and what decisions are made by the physician? Well, that's kind of hard for me to answer because I don't work in the hospital. Um, But what I can say for an out-of-hospital birth, or at least with midwifery, all the decisions are in the family's hands. Um, like I said, at least in my practice, what I do is I try to educate them in everything that I can educate them in. Um, during, late, or anytime, even during the prenatal care, you know, if um, something comes up, I'm always talking to them. You know, so I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. This is my concern. These are the different things that we can do what do you want to do you know and I'm always like just because I recommend something doesn't mean you have to do it you know I might say hey you know um, your blood pressure is starting to creep up how about we start taking some magnesium so like that your blood pressure starts to decrease and if they're just like yeah I try but I just can't take magnesium well I mean I'm not gonna be like oh my gosh I can't believe you're not taking magnesium I told you to take magnesium why aren't you doing it you know um so at least that's like how it is in my practice um typically it you know it kind of just depends when I've had to go into the hospital with my mamas um at least one of the hospitals here is very very natural minded you know they try their best that they can to kind of stick to the birth plan you know that mama has you know so I really can't say what the hospital will not let you do um, versus what they will let you do because that's not where I'm at. That makes sense. Can you, just because it really sparked my interest and I thought that was fascinating, can you talk a little bit more about the medical interventions you do, like the magnesium for the high blood pressure, things like that, those kind of natural but still medical interventions? Um, well, I don't necessarily know if it's medical, um, but um, so the big thing um, that at least I do is I always make sure mamas are, I try to um, get them to get as much protein in as possible, okay? Because one, protein is what grows little humans, okay? Um, and then two, it keeps a lot of the risks that come up during pregnancy away, you know? So gestational hypertension or gestational diabetes, preterm labor, um, preeclampsia, you know, kind of keeps those at bay. Um, so that's one of my big things. Also, water, 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 water. I tell them, I'm going to be that crazy person that you're going to, you're going to say, um, oh my gosh, Every time I call her, she tells me to drink more water. But really, <laughs> water is one of the things that can help with a lot of discomforts in life, not just during pregnancy, yeah. but in life, you know, so that and magnesium. <laughs> so just really from all of my research um, that I've been doing, a lot of us are deficient in magnesium. Um, so we kind of like just need to start supplementing in it so um with a lot of discomforts you have a headache constipation restless leg syndrome insomnia um headaches i don't even know if i said that already i mean all of those stuff um magnesium can help um i know i don't take care of hundreds and thousands of mamas and i know most of my mamas are low risk but you know just because i'm always like hey how much water are you drinking how much protein are you getting in you know um and if they're like hey well i'm starting to get headaches or you know like i said your blood pressure starting to creep up you know or have charlie horses or whatever it is you know um we we kind of set out a little regimen and then i don't really have a lot of moms that have hypertensive issues but then we also talk about stress you know, and that can be another thing too. And I'm also, they're also not coming in and I'm not telling them all of this fear stuff, you know, because a lot of times it can be induced, you know, like, oh, I don't know, I don't even know what I would 
say, um, oh, you had preeclampsia with their last baby, so you're definitely going to have preeclampsia with this one. So let's keep doing this, this, and this. And it's just like, well, do you have preeclampsia right now? Is your blood pressure creeping up? No, it's not. It's okay right now. So we probably might not have an issue. I mean, we might, but we might not. So why am I going to scare you to make you think that you're going to have it? Because you know what? The mind is a very powerful thing. And if you instill that fear already, then it's going to happen. That was beautiful. All of this is just so amazing. I love how you start before we're even at the, like with the the diet and all of that, because we preach that a lot in here too, because it's really important postpartum um but I just love kind of the experiences moms get when they have a baby with you the education the care before the care after it's just an all-encompassing care that I think is missing in our traditional medical system and so from the people I've seen from you keep doing exactly what you're doing (laughs) and I think that it's amazing to just starting at the basics of just okay what does your water intake look like how is your sleep what does your stress look like what is your support system look like and just how much that affects you know just everybody not even our pregnant moms but I mean just everybody on the face of this earth and I mean that's always like my biggest thing when my patients come in there you know if they're having an off day they're like well I'm just not really feeling good today I'm like okay how much water have you had today how did you sleep last night what's going on in your life that you know oh well you know I had a you know close family friend that passed away I didn't sleep well last night I haven't even eaten today and it's one o'clock in the afternoon and just kind of starting there before you start adding in okay well let's put you on this medication let's give you this prescription let's you know do all these other interventions it's like no let's start at the basics <laughs> let's let's cover step one first and then go from there which again I think is why so many patients benefit from seeing you again not only are the pregnant moms but the women who go see you just for well life visits and and just that continued care throughout their lifespan I think is fantastic well thank you absolutely absolutely, absolutely. please keep doing exactly what you're doing yes. <laughs> I had just another question, and this is kind of, no one likes to think about this, but if there was a postpartum complication and we were at home or at the birthing center, like hemorrhaging or anything like that, how do you typically handle that? Um, So like I said, I have several medications for hemorrhage. Um, And, you know, we're also kind of like seeing what's going on beforehand too, you know. So like if I have a mom that's been in labor for 36 hours, her uterus has been contracting for 36 hours, we're probably going to be a little bit more proactive, you know. I do have a Chinese herb that I can give them to kind of help with that bleeding. Um, So I'll be like, look, you've been contracting for a really long time. Are you okay if I can give you this to kind of just like be on top of it? So as soon as baby is delivered, then we give her that drink and, you know, hopefully that can help, you know. And then if I'm like, hey, I really just don't like this bleeding anymore, you know, is it okay if I give you some Pitocin? And they're like, okay. And then I'm like, all right, like it's still coming. Like, let me go on to the next medication, you know. Um, And then I tell everybody, I don't try to be a hero, okay. Um, I know where my scope is at and I know that I can't do it all, you know. Um, There's only so much that I can do at home that I can do at the birth center. Um, So if it gets to the point where I'm like, hey, I'm really not liking this. We would need to go in. And that's mama or baby. You know, it's like, we need to go in. We need to make sure, you know, keep evaluating what's going on, you know. Um, So I have um, the Chinese herb that I have is called Yun Yun Bai Yao. I have Pitocin, Cytotec, and then I also started carrying TXA. Um, So like that, we can get to the hospital, you know, um, if we need to. So, and I tell mamas too, you know, I'm like, Hey, I can give you all of this medication. And if it stops, but you still dropped 1500 mLs on me, then, um, you might be 
feeling it, you know, and we may need to go in either for further evaluation or probably to get some blood, you know. So sometimes we still have to move in even though we get it stopped. I love just the way I'm, I hear you talking about this and I know you've talked to your patients. It's a conversation of this is what's happening. These are our options. This is what I recommend. Are you okay with that? The education, the consent, because typically in a hospital, from what I've heard, I mean, I've never had a baby from what I've heard, it's kind of when things happen, it's panic, it's rush, it's mom's getting things she doesn't even know about, it's being pushed through the IV, may or may not have a full clue of what's going on. And I'm sure not everybody is like that, but I love what you're saying of just how you approach it, of that education followed by making sure you have the consent from the mom and just letting them know what you're doing and why or the options they have. I think that's amazing. I think that is the big thing because when you do listen to moms that talk about traumatic births, that's the biggest thing is like, I didn't even know what was going on, Mm -hmm. you know? And even though it can be chaotic, you know, like you can still take five seconds and say, this is what's going on. You know, this is what we, we can give you, you know? And at that point they'll be like, okay, well, you know, I was hemorrhaging, you know, but sometimes they'll be like, they were just pulling and tugging and doing all of this stuff there. And I don't know what happened. And then afterwards the nurse said, oh, you lost a lot of blood, you know, or whatever the case is, you know? Um, but yeah, that's the big thing is, and that's what I tell my clients all the time. It's like, I'm always going to be talking to you about what is going on. And if I don't like something, I'm going to tell you what, what it is, why I don't like it. And what are the things that we can do? Because sometimes it can still be where like, Hey, I'm, I'm probably just not liking it, but they're like, Oh, that's no big deal. You know, that doesn't bother me at all. You know? And I'll be like, okay, like we can hold off a little bit longer, you know, but I, this is my suggestion. Okay. This is my recommendation because you know what? Ultimately, this is their journey. This is their family. This is their baby, you know, and they're the ones that get to decide what they want to do. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Another question I had was about cervical checks. Cause I know those are pretty big in hospitals. I have some patients, especially if they have a history of vaginismus or pelvic pain, cervical checks are horrifically painful or anxiety inducing. And they have a pretty big fear surrounding those and I know those are necessary maybe to see how labor's progressing but what are your thoughts and feelings on cervical checks so prior to labor um I really don't do them because it doesn't matter what you're at at 36 weeks. You know, you can be close, thick, and high. You start having contractions, and you have a baby that night. Or you can be sitting at four centimeters, and if you're not contracting, you're not having a baby. So that doesn't tell me anything. Um, Occasionally during um, the pregnancy part of it, before you go into labor, I do ask mamas if I can check if they've gone past their due dates. And I'm talking about, like, 41 weeks, okay? Not, like, you know, 40 weeks, like... 41 weeks because we want to get baby delivered by 42, okay? Because there is, at at least for the birth center, baby cannot deliver after 42 weeks at the birth center. So some of these moms are like, I really just don't want to go to the hospital. So it's like, okay, well, let me see what your cervix is doing, you know, because we can try to encourage things, you know, we can, I always tell everybody what got you in this predicament can get you out, all right? So just love on each other as much as you can, all right? So there can be more of that, you know, sometimes membrane sweeps can help, you know, to kind of, if you're not what we call um, favorable, like your cervix is favorable, by doing those sweeps, it can release hormones 
hormones where you can start cramping, you know, and having some contractions that can start thinning and, you know, opening and, you know, all of that stuff. So um, that would be one of the few times. Or if mom says, hey, I've been having lots of contractions and she lives two hours away and I'm like, okay, well, let's kind of see where we're starting. So when you do start labor, you may not want to hang out at home so much, you know, and just kind of start heading this way. Um, and then in labor, most of the time I'll do one like whenever I get to them or they get to me. And a lot of times it's because they want to know too, you know. Um, but I've had a couple of moms where I get to them and their labor is pretty intense, you know, and they start bearing down and we have a baby and I never did a, tr- a cervical check, you know. Um, but for the most part, it's just that one. If I notice that contractions are starting to change, you know, so they just don't seem as intense. She's not as vocal as she was before. They're just lasting a little bit longer or not as long. I might be like, well, let me just check. Let's see where we're at, you know, and that because really you only want to do an intervention so it can help you to decide what your next step is going to be, you know. So if we've had a mom that's been laboring for 12 hours, her contraction pattern is starting to change, I check and oh, guess what? No, we're only five centimeters we're not as far as long as we thought we we were you know then um hey it's eight o'clock at night let's try to shut this down let's get you some rest you know because if we're still pregnant at six o'clock in the morning you're going to be exhausted you know so that's why you want an intervention done that's why you want to have a cervical check not just to kind of see oh where you're at now you know and really um the way mom is acting how the labor is progressing can also tell you how the labor is progressing Mm -hmm. you know so if the contractions are getting closer if they're getting more intense she's becoming more vocal you know she's um kind of like typically what I end up seeing is like, you know, moms are talking, you know, in between the contractions. And then when they're starting to get more intense, even in between those contractions, they are kind of just staying more focused, you know, Um, and then they start to get more vocal, you know, so not just the moaning, but more of just more noise. They just start to get more, it's like the grunting, the more, oh, what did I hear somebody say one time? Um, I can't remember what it was, but like you can hear it, you know, because a lot of times we'll kind of just step out, you know, because mom is laboring with dad, they're laboring with the doula, they don't need us staring at them, you know, unless we're in there cracking jokes with them, you know, but for the most part, we'll just kind of step out and we're just kind of hearing and we'll hear those groans and we're just like, okay, it's time for us to go in. And shortly after that, we have a baby, you know, I'll have some people that haven't had been in this kind of experience, especially like parents, you know, and I'll have moms be like, well, you haven't checked her yet? No, I haven't checked her. She seems like she's doing really good. Well, how are you going to know when baby's coming? And I was like, well, when we see a head, we know it's ready. We know baby's ready to be to be born. That's awesome. You mentioned a doula. Can you tell us a little bit more the like what doulas do, the difference between a midwife and a doula, their benefits, all of that? So a doula is somebody that's there to support you emotionally and physically. Really, that's it. They're, they're, they're your coach, okay? And it's for the family. It's not just mama, you know, because, and I just had somebody just tell me recently there, when I had told him that, the husband was like, I thought that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for you too. He's like, yeah, but she can also guide dad, you know, hey, put your hands here or try this because, you know, she's been at a lot more births than what dad has probably, you know, I don't know. I mean, that some dads have been in quite a bit of births too, you know, but um, for the most part, like, and I've had some women too that are like, you know what, my husband is amazing and he will build me a house but you ask him to support me in labor and he is worthless 
<laughs> Sorry I said that word, but, it, you know, it's different. You know, we just think different. You know, men and women just think completely different, you know. And I have had men where they just sit in the corner, you know. They're there, they're present, but they're just not really involved, you know. But they're amazing for everything else. Just when it comes to birth, they're just not very much help. Or mom doesn't want them. Mom doesn't want them. I mean, they put them in the situation, you know. <laughs> they do not this want is them. Your there. fault. <laughs> yes. I mean, like I'll have lots of moms where you know dads will tell them something. They're like, "Be quiet," and then we'll say something. They're like, "Thank you," you know. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, um, so having the doula there is really beneficial, and it also lets dad take a break. You know, so that if this is a little bit longer and dad's tired, then dad can take a break while she is supporting mom. You know, and however mom needs to be supported. Um, it's a little bit different um, to having a doula with me versus having a doula at the hospital because really my doulas don't have to advocate when they're with me, and that's one of the things that doulas also do. They'll advocate, so they'll go over birth plans and you know what are your wishes, what are you know what are you visioning your birth to be like like what are you wanting during this time you know so like that when you go to the hospital and they're like um trying to think okay like we're gonna put you on the monitors and then they're like well remember you wanted to walk around like oh yeah yeah can we walk around you know kind of a thing you know or the delayed cord clamping you know it's like oh yeah we wanted delayed cord clamping and at the moment mom and dad don't remember you know they're just kind of like in the in the thick of it you know and if something happens you know baby's delivered and they're like okay we're gonna cut the cord and they're like oh okay you know because they just have their baby in their arms and you know they're on you know up in the clouds you know and then the doula can be like oh remember we wanted to delay cord clamping so they're their their advocates can you talk about delayed cord clamping and if there are benefits to it? And is that like standard of practice in what you do or is that up to? So yes, it is a standard of practice in what I do. So what ends up happening in the fetal circulation is some of the baby's blood is still in the placenta. Um, so whenever baby is delivered, there's still some of that placenta or blood that's circulating in the placenta. So with the delayed cord clamping, baby gets their blood back. If you do immediate cord clamping, I think there's an article that I read that it's like a third of the baby's blood is still circulating in the placenta. Okay, so when you cut the cord right away, then they don't have that blood. They don't have those iron stores. So a lot of the babies do end up becoming anemic around six months, a year of life. And studies have shown that when babies at least get three minutes of delayed cord clamping, they don't have that anemia. That's so. fascinating. I'm making a mental note for my own future. <laughs> I'm literally taking notes. I'm like, this is like my interview for <laughs> I decide to have a kid. We both have already decided that we're coming to you for our babies in the very near future anyway. So Yay. like this is not the very near future. We keep trying to convince each other to have babies. At the same time? <laughs> Rachel's probably going to want babies before I want babies. <laughs> I do want babies. and I want Well, that. you know, it always comes in threes. <laughs> Let's go. Well, we gotta convince Camille to have a third or have a yeah have a third baby that's gonna be a hard sell <laughs> oh, man. oh man do you have any other questions about Mm-mm. pregnancy um can you talk a little bit about the other services that you provide again like you said it's not just pregnancy and postpartum but throughout that lifespan so what does your care and interventions kind of look like there So I do offer some well women and really, so I am 
my focus is more on childbirth, you know, so if you're going to come to me with your diabetes, I mean, I might be able to help you a little bit, but it might get to a point where I might be like, yeah, I'm not sure about this or, you know, something else. Like there's certain things that I can that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm confident with this, you know, but other things I'm going to be like, yeah, probably we do want to go with somebody that does this um, more often, but like I can do your well women checks. And sadly what ends up happening is when women decide to go this route, especially if there are pregnant their doctors will fire them so then of course then they don't have a place to go get their pap smears you know and that kind of stuff so I'm like you are welcome to come back here because guess what I can do that too um so I can I'm comfortable with pap smears I'm comfortable with breast exams just the you know well women stuff I can do thyroid things you know I can um like I said diabetes but I could we're starting to get more into depth things and other things like one of one of the things that I really do want to start focusing on is going to be PCOS but I'm not there yet so um, but that's one of that's going to be one of my future goals to where I can really kind of dive deep into that so I can really help women because guess what just because you have PCOS does not mean you need to start taking that birth control to control it because it's not going to do anything it's just slapping a band-aid and you still have all the issues so that, that was a kind of a follow-up question. Say someone has three beautiful home births with you and then they're done having babies, but they don't want anything done surgically. Do you prescribe or offer any like birth control? Yes. So um, because I'm an advanced practice nurse, I could um, do the, you know, hormonal um, prescriptions and even stuff that's not hormonal, like the Kaya. But for some reason that requires... Uh, uh, which is a diaphragm. It requires a prescription, you know, so we can do that. Most of my families do end up wanting to do something that's non-hormonal. Um, and really a lot of it is just natural family planning. And there's a lot of teaching to that. A lot of women don't realize like, hey, you can really take control of your fertility, you know, just by listening to your body. Um, and I'm guilty of that too. You know, I'm not going to lie. You know, it's just, I... I tell everybody, I was like, I am not in tune with my body at all. You know, I'm, I'm your, not your typical midwife. <laughs> you know, like I am not in tune with my body at all. And like, I would not be able to tell you like when I even had my last period, because I don't even keep track of that, you know, kind of a thing. But by really, you know, listening to your body, tracking your cycles, you can, um, try you can know when to get pregnant or you can know when to not get pregnant you know and one of the things too that a lot of women don't even realize is like you can only get pregnant in a little small window you know yeah. it's not the whole month so why are you taking hormones for a whole month when you can only get pregnant in a little window and I mean and I'm not saying birth controls is not an op, you know it's not to never take birth control I mean if that's what you want to do then I hope that's an option for you you know um but um, there's lots of other things out there that can be done instead of just running towards hormo hormones that can mess up your body. So we could probably do a whole episode on that. But can you talk a little bit about ways to manage PCOS, endometriosis? We've talked a little bit about like painful cramps, how pelvic floor physical therapy can help. But typically the standard of care for that has just been birth control pills. So you're saying there's other options. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Oh, I haven't dived deep into it yet. <laughs> um, so really just the little bit that I do know from what I do know is, um, in, I'm not too sure about endometriosis, but I know for PCOS, it is like an autoimmune. So really diet, 
that's going to be the biggest thing is going to be diet. And then it's also going to be like, um, well, I'm not necessarily sure. I mean, chiropractic care is going to help you know, for lots of things. And, you know, it could be, you know, because of the way the nervous, you know, the nerves are getting pinched and that can be causing some issues too. But it's going to be kind of like a little bit of everything, you know, but diet is going to be the big thing, especially for PCOS, you know, and PCOS does come with the partner a lot of the times. So it could be PCOS and like another autoimmune like Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, or it can be rheumatoid arthritis, you know, those kind of things. So um, you really kind of have to like get to the bottom of it and really diet is always gonna be the foundation. And I know that's the hardest thing, you know, cause even like me, like I said, I'm not your typical midwife, you know, and I'm really guilty. You know, I'm starting to kind of have gut issues and I'm like, yeah, but they're not that bad that I need to change my diet yet (laughs) so I get it can be really hard you know but like especially like for PCOS you know so it needs to be diet and then after diet you also have to control insulin because that's also a big thing on PCOS you know so that's just a little bit of that I'm not going to give more into that because like I said I haven't dug deep into it yet so I do think there's something so empowering about that you say diet's hard to change but that's something you can control versus having to rely on a doctor to adjust your medication or go to a doctor. You're, you're taking your health back into your hands. And I think for a lot of people that can be extremely, extremely empowering. Difficult, yes, but empowering nonetheless. Yeah. Well, because to eat healthy, it's really hard. It's really hard. And especially depends on what you do. I know like for me, you know, like there's times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to eat a little bit healthier. And then I'm like, hey, this is all I can get right now. You know, so then I just get whatever it is, you know, and I sometimes I'm like, I'm going to try not to eat any processed foods. And I was like, well, then I'm never going to eat anything because I'm never going to have time to actually make real food, you know. Um, so I know it could be really hard, but a lot of times, like when you really, really have to, like people do it, they do do it. Mm-hmm. And like Callie said, I think it's really empowering for a lot of people just to have that control back. And again, it's, it's one of the basics of, okay, what's your diet? Like, what is your exercise? Like how much water have you had today? What's your stress levels like? Um, and I think that's a lot of things that, you know, i our patients don't always necessarily realize and, um, you know, kind of tying it back to the pelvic floor, how it affects our digestive system and how it, you know, how that can impact our pelvic floor muscle function is like, okay, well, what goes in has got to come out. And there's a lot that happens in between those two things. And so how can we control that? And how can we mitigate that? We have these food sensitivities and I have so many patients that are like, but I've never had a problem with this before. I'm like, yeah, well, you just moved cities, you know, you, you changed literally every aspect of your life, your stress levels changed, you retired, you have all these changes and that that can change as we age and as we get older. And, you know, these food sensitivities can kind of creep up out of out of nowhere. Well, and the thing too, is probably it's not just the food itself, but it's the way it's being processed. You know, and even the way food was being processed 30 years ago is different than what it is being processed today. You know, so it's not like because I think about it, too, and it's like, well, how is it that all of a sudden everybody's sensitive to gluten now? But that's not what it is. It's the way that it's being processed, you know. So that's the big thing to remember. Um, And I get it. Like, we need to process it certain ways because we have a lot of people to feed in the world, you know. So it can make it kind of hard. But and then, of course, what's healthier is more expensive you know like I had four kids and I'm like I can't afford to go to natural groceries and buy food for all of us you know they're healthy they can still you know they, they can their bodies can handle this right. <laughs> so um kind of my final tying it all together wrapping it up with a nice pretty bow question is that 
From what I've seen, most if not all of your patients after they give birth are given at least the option to come to pelvic floor physical therapy. They can kind of choose whether they pursue that or not. But why do you recommend pelvic floor physical therapy for your patients after they give birth? Um, so yes, I always, um, I refer all of my patients, clients over here. Um, it wasn't anything that I knew about. Um, actually, I didn't even learn about pelvic floor therapy until after I graduated from midwifery school. So if they taught it in school, um, I don't know if I was busy studying for something else that I didn't listen to that class, um, to that lecture. Um, but it wasn't until somebody, I was working in Lubbock at a birth center in Lubbock and one of the physical therapy places over there had pelvic floor therapy and they came and talked to us. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is is amazing you know because for me even in school or for me even having my kids it was I was never told hey you know if you start leaking that's not normal you know it was just like oh you've had kids that's it's gonna happen that's just part of life you know and when I started hearing that that oh this isn't normal then I'm like everybody needs to go you know because even like with me like I've had four kids and I think to myself oh I don't have any issues but how do I know because I've never had an evaluation, <laughs> you know, and I am getting older, you know, and it's like, oh, I want to do that. You know, I kind of want to see where I'm at. I especially, especially like really, really encourage my mamas that had like some extensive tearing or already have some kind of an issue. And I've actually even sent them prenatally where they're like, oh, yeah, it hurts when I have intercourse or, you know, just Oh, I can't. Even, I know there was a weird one one time that I was like, uh, no, we need to send you to pelvic floor and like we need to send you now. And one of the things that I didn't realize, and I don't know if this was the um, one of the policies that they had in Lubbock, was that um, they can have internal evaluations during pregnancy. So I was always like, well, they can't do an internal, but they can at least see what's going on externally and try to get you help already. So like that, it doesn't get worse throughout the pregnancy. Um, but when I learned that you guys do do internal during pregnancy, I'm like, oh, you're going now and request <laughs> the internal one. Okay. Because this is going to help. And actually it has helped a lot because I've had some moms that had some spasms, mm -hmm. you know, and you guys have helped correct it before the baby was born. So like that, guess what? We don't have that much longer pushing stage because they were able to relax their bottom Amazing. Mm -hmm. awesome i love Beautiful. it i love it yes that's all i got thank you so much for doing this this was phenomenal i mean just the inf i learned something i learned so many things i'm like like i said i'm making a mental checklist yeah. in my head i'm like okay when i have a baby we're doing all these things oh absolutely absolutely thank you so much for your time thank you for your knowledge, your wisdom. Thank you for everything you do for the patients or the people. I also like that you call them clients instead of patient because patient almost kind of insinuates that there's something wrong in clients. they're sick. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like that you call your clients clients. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for doing this. This well, was thank amazing. thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, that is all we have today. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week. Yeah.